following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. It was December 1995. Playing in the theaters was a movie just released called Jumanji. The uh, most sought-after gift that year was something called Pogs. Anyone remember Pogs? A couple of you. you got to be like a certain particular age range. Pogs were like these little circular cardboard things that you'd have a slammer, and you'd throw it on top, and you'd flip them over, and then you could keep the ones you got. It was like the marbles of the 90s, okay, is what Pogs were. That was the most sought-after gift, Christmas 1995. The Miami Dolphins were on the way to the playoffs. That's right, one half-hearted clap. That's all we get. It was a long time ago, 1995. Don Shula was still the coach. Dan Marino was going to be going to the Pro Bowl. And uh, the Patriots went 6-10. and 10. That was a good year. It was a good year, 1995, okay. That was a long time ago, but I remember December 1995 because it was the only Christmas of my childhood that was a white Christmas. Now you say, where in the world did you spend Christmas that you had a white Christmas? Were you up north? Was there like a, a, did you wake up to seeing a blanket of white snow across a meadow somewhere? No, no, it was a white Christmas right here in South Florida. You see, Christmas Eve night, the temperatures dipped into the 30s. And when our sprinklers came on the next morning, (laughs) it put icicles all over the porch So much to our dismay, we saw a South Florida winter wonderland outside that Christmas. That is what a white Christmas looks like in South Florida. And so that's where we find ourselves uh, this Christmas. We find ourselves not in some cabin nestled on a mountain with with, uh, snow falling and a fire crackling. We find ourselves in the beautiful tropical paradise that is South Florida this Christmas. And the reason we are celebrating that is because no matter where you find yourself at Christmas time, I mean, it rolls around every year Christmas does. You can't make it come quicker. You can't hold it off longer. It just comes around every time. And sometimes it doesn't find us right exactly where we wish we were in a season of life. It doesn't exactly find us exactly with with everything cheery and merry and happy. But it does come around. But here's the thing that's incredible about Christmas. Wherever it finds you, Wherever it finds you, the message of Christmas is so powerful, it brings joy and hope every single time. We're going through in this series, we're looking at the songs that are in the Christmas story. If you look back into the Bible at the story of Christmas, the story of the nativity in the book of Luke, there are actually four songs. They're the original Christmas songs. There are four songs in the story. And each of the next four times we're together, we're going to look at one of those songs. And the first song we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, 
if you would open to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. As you're turning there, let me get you caught up on the story. If you've, act, if you've heard the real, actual Christmas story, you may be familiar with some of the events. Let me walk you through those events uh, again. It starts with a young woman in this small village called Nazareth. And one day, an angel named Gabriel appears to her. And the angel opens up. The first words out of Gabriel's mouth are really remarkable. He says, Greetings, O favored one, blessed among women. That's important. It's a very interesting opener, saying, You are favored. And then he delivers her the news as to what makes her so highly favored. He says, God is going to place in your womb, you're going to give birth to a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, if you know the story, this was remarkable and surprising and confusing for Mary, because Mary, while she was engaged, she was a virgin. And she said, how in the world am I going to give birth to a son? And, he said, and the angel says, God is going to place life in your womb. This is going to be the long-awaited Christ, the Messiah says she leaves from where she is in Nazareth. She goes to her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is kind of, from an age standpoint, um, like her aunt, kind of in, from an age distance, but goes to her relative. Elizabeth is also pregnant at the time, which is a whole nother story that we're going to talk about a little bit next week. She's also pregnant. And when she sees Mary, it's just unbelievably life-giving what she says to Mary. Because imagine you're Mary, you're saying, okay, how is this going to work? I'm going to be pregnant. I mean, do I even feel pregnant? Do I feel like anything's going on in my body? And then once I start showing, I mean, how am I going to explain this to the people that my friends and family, and, and what about Joseph? How is he going to react? And she must be walking through the difficulty that her life is going to face over these next months, years, and in many ways the rest of her life. And she's processing through this on her way to Elizabeth, and how unbelievably life-giving are Elizabeth's first words when she sees Mary. She doesn't say, oh, Mary, what a surprise. I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. No, what she says is, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, she says. And then she says, and why do I get to be so blessed that the mother of my Lord is coming to see me? I mean, God just gives her this insight to just instantaneously understand what's going on and say this to Mary, and can you imagine how confirming, how comforting, how life-giving that must have been for Mary? And the words that came out of Mary's mouth next are considered a song. Now, it's not like a musical, okay? It's not like the sound of music where the orchestra starts like swelling up and she breaks into song, okay? It's not like that. But what she says is so profound, so beautiful, so poetic. It's something that has been put to music throughout the generations. And it's so inspired by God that it is remembered as one of the greatest declarations in the entire Christmas story. Look at this in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, 
and holy is his name. Now I want you to look at that first sentence there. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She's saying everything in me is choosing to celebrate God and to rejoice and praise his name. And the first word, if you were to read this in the original Greek that it was written in, the very first word of this entire song is the word magnifies. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord, but the first word is magnify. In, in Latin, that word is magnificat. And so this entire song throughout the generations has been entitled, The Magnificat. And it starts like this. She's saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, this is really interesting and ironic wording here because she's, I want you to think of the types of things you magnify. What are the types of things you put under a magnifying glass or a microscope? You put tiny things and you magnify them. But she's saying she's magnifying the Lord. The one the scripture poetically says breathes stars out of his mouth. The one who, who rules the universe and holds everything in the palm of his hand. How do you magnify the massive? Something already immensely immeasurably big. How does she magnify it? It's this beautiful wording saying, in other words, the reality of the bigness of God. The reality of how massive God is, the reality of how immense God is, is becoming more real to my soul. Saying, I magnify the Lord, and then she says, and my spirit rejoices. Now, this word rejoices is interesting, and that's, it's a Christmassy word, right? Rejoice. The idea of rejoice obviously comes from joy. Now, joy is more than just surface level Happiness, joy comes from someplace down deep. It's a celebration of good things that, come, that runs down deep. But the word rejoice is the choice of joy. Rejoice is a command. It's where you command joy. See, it reveals something about joy. Joy doesn't necessarily just strike you suddenly. Joy is something that can be chosen pursued, and we can even command it of ourselves to rejoice. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and she says, my spirit rejoices. And then she says, why? Because he has taken me from a low estate, and she says, from now on, throughout the generations, I will be called blessed. Now, this is amazing. I want you to think of her, her lowly, humble estate. Okay, she's, first of all, she comes from a humbled people. At this point in history, Israel has been conquered. When they walk through their cities and their towns and their villages, they see Roman soldiers. They have Roman governors. They have Roman tax collectors. They are not a free people. They are a humbled people that have, that have been conquered. But among a humble people, she's from this small little town called Nazareth. In fact, later when people refer to Jesus as being Jesus of Nazareth, people say, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's this tiny little town. And, and here's how I, I, I imagine Nazareth in my brain. When I was in college, um, I went to a college in a very rural part of northern Indiana surrounded by farms and farmland and just good-hearted Midwest people in that area, but a lot of very small towns. And one of the towns right near the college campus was a town called Gas City. Not a very beautiful name. Gas 
city, okay? And this city, it, they call it a city. It's not really a city. It's a town. They have less than 6,000 people living in that town, okay? And if you actually looked up Gas City recently, and if you look it up, TripAdvisor, which is interesting, um, TripAdvisor lists the top restaurants in Gas City. So, like, if you're looking for some, like, world-class destination for, like, for a culinary experience, they want to give you the top restaurants in Gas City. And of the top ones, I remember going to this restaurant, there's a pizza place called Top It. And Top It is an, actually an acrostic that st stands for the only pizza place in town. <laughs> so it has to be at the top of the list if you want pizza because there's no other pizza places anywhere, okay? So you find a place like Top It. Now, beautiful people, lovely people in the area of Gas City, but there's just not a lot of Gas City pride, okay? Like people who say, oh yeah, I was, I'm from Miami, or I'm from Los Angeles, or Washington, D.C. There's pride for those big cities, but there's not a lot of people who say, born and raised in Gas City, Indiana. <laughs> not a lot of Gas City pride. That's something like Nazareth. Small little village. She's a, a, a humble, from a humble people, from a humble village, and then she finds herself pregnant which is gonna make her even an outcast from the humble village among a humble people. She says, I find myself in a humble estate, but then she says, but throughout the generations, they will call me blessed. Now that is so true that it's almost, it's so powerful that she's imagined this, it's almost prophetic. I mean, think of all through this Christmas season, there will be small depictions, pictures of the nativity with Mary there with her baby. There will be movies and plays and shows and, and Christmas cards showing Mary. She has been blessed throughout, throughout the generations. And different traditions have handled this differently. There are some traditions, you may come from a tradition that holds Mary in such high esteem that they even pray to Mary. There's songs sung to Mary. You may come from the opposite extreme or tradition that says, no, that's too far. That's, that's almost worshiping Mary. And so they actually downplay Mary. But what does the scripture say? How do we handle this, this character in the story, this pivotal person of Mary? Well, on one hand, it says, we don't need to pray to Mary because we can pray directly to the Father. And we have the Son, Jesus. We have Jesus himself advocating for us by the throne. We can pray directly to the Father. But on the other hand, we can't diminish Mary because as the angel says, she is highly favored and blessed among women. We've got to say, this is an incredible thing that God has done with this young woman. Think about this. She doesn't just have the, the miracle of pregnancy where she's sensing life growing inside of her womb. She, growing inside of her womb is the giver of life. She has God in the flesh inside her womb. She is, she is going to be responsible to carry, to give birth to, to feed, to comfort, to raise the Son of God himself. God in the flesh, she will be his mother. She will be the one he reaches for as a child when he needs to be comforted. 
She will be the one when no one else can bring comfort to him. She will be able to bring comfort to him as a child. This is an unbelievable way she has been highly, highly, highly favored. And it is absolutely true the generations have called her blessed. She starts with this song. She says, I'm magnifying the Lord. I'm choosing to rejoice because I was in a humble estate, but he has, he has brought me such incredible blessing. It's very personal, very intimate. But I want to show you the rest of the song because there's a hinge point here. And the rest of the song goes from something very personal, it's about her and God, to something that's more global. It talks about, it, it's the attributes of God that applies even to yours and my life. Look at what she says. Let's keep going. Look at verse 50. She says this. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, there's something really amazing in here that I want, I want to show you, but you have to permit me to be a little bit of a Bible nerd here for a second, okay? In the original Greek, there's something happening with the grammar there that makes this really profound. See, I just said the word grammar and half of you fell asleep, like instantaneously, okay? So hang with me here for a second. In the original Greek, I want you to notice all of these descriptors of what God has done. She's speaking, and it's translated into the past tense. We could spend months picking apart this unbelievable song called the Magnificat, but I just want to show you a couple things. She says things like this. God has shown his mercy. She says, God has exalted the humble. God has filled the hungry God has helped his servant. They're all in the past tense. Okay, you tracking with me? But here's what's happening in the Greek grammar, in the original Greek. The, 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 it's called a prophetic aorist. And what's happening here, these are actually things that have not yet come to pass. They're actually things that are being announced prophetically, but they're so certain that they will be done that they're translated in the past tense. In other words, it's kind of like this. So every year about this time, my wife Rebecca and I, we have a competition. And whenever we're out driving around, it's a competition to see who can spot a car or truck or SUV bringing a Christmas tree home from the store. It's up on their roof, all strapped in and driving home, okay? And so we have this competition. If you spot a tree and you're the first person to spot the tree, you get one point, okay? And um, you, you can even text it to each other. It's on the honor system, which is probably, I'm probably not trustworthy enough to be under the honor system, but anyway. And it's very heated, okay, between Rebecca and I. So like a conversation every year kind of starts off like this. Hey, um, is today the day when we start, she might say to me, where, where we start the uh, Christmas tree competition? And I might say something in response like, you mean the competition that I'm going to dominate? You mean the one that I've practically already won? I'm just going to give myself the imaginary ribbon that I get, okay? 
can see this is very healthy for our marriage, this competition. All right, and so I might say something so bold saying, even though it hasn't happened, I'm declaring and announcing, it's a done deal. It's as good as done. I am victorious, okay? In an even more emphatic sense, Mary is not just simply saying, you are the type of God who will have mercy. She's not just saying, I know God and I'm trusting that you will exalt the humble. She's not just saying, God, I'm believing you're going to fill the hungry. She's not just saying, Lord, I, I know that you're going to one day bring help. She's saying it so emphatically. She's saying it's as good as done. You have exalted the humble. You have filled the hungry. You have brought help to your servants. You have done all of these things. It's as good as done powerful words. But what makes this even more powerful is when you consider her present circumstances. Because with the arrival of this pregnancy, with this baby showing up on the scene, those promises that she's declaring as good as done, like those are like the last thing that's happening. I mean, if she's just looking at her present circumstances... Does she see a God of mercy? No, the moment this pregnancy happened, it brought shame into her life. And she didn't do anything wrong. She must be saying, God, what did I do to deserve this? Like, aren't you a God of mercy? I'm getting something that I don't even deserve. All these people are going to pour shame on me. I've got to leave the the, the town for a little while. I'm going to carry this shame around me. What did I do to deserve this? I mean, if she was looking at her present circumstances, she'd say, God, where is the mercy? But the perspective she takes is not the arrival of this child has brought me to a place where I see no mercy. She's saying the arrival of this child has brought such mercy where I'm saying, God, what did I do to deserve this? That I get to carry the Son of God? All generations will call me blessed. I mean, look at her present circumstances. I mean, it's not that with the arrival of this child, with the presence of this child, it took her humble circumstances and went lower. She wasn't just from a humbled people. She wasn't just in a humbled village. But now, among that small village, she went from being a nobody to being a notorious somebody. She's like, God, this actually brought me lower. And she didn't say, ever since you brought this baby into my life, you've brought me to a place that's lower. No, she's declaring, you already have exalted the humble because she is saying, I have the privilege of caring and, and caring for the Son of God. What a tremendous privilege you've brought into my life. She doesn't just say, God, look, look ever since this baby came into my life, I mean, it's been nothing but even more difficulty, even greater needs. She says, now I, we've got to go to the census and I've got to go pregnant. And now we're, we're now so poor that now we're in a stable and we have no place for I can comfortably give birth to this child. And we're going to put this newborn precious baby in a manger and then we're going to have to flee for our lives to Egypt and be strangers and sojourners in a foreign land. And she doesn't say, look at my circumstances. This child has brought nothing but even more needs. No, she declares in the past tense, because it's as good as done, you fill the hungry. She's saying, with this child, you have accomplished everything that I will need for eternity. She doesn't just say, God, 
Where's the help? I, I thought you were supposed to bring help to your servant Israel, but since this baby came, I've, had, I've been alone all by myself. I have to flee to a relative. My, my relationship and future marriage may be breaking up. He's, Joseph's not sure where he stands, so God, what are you doing? Because now I feel alone with no help. No, she says, she says, with this child, you have already, it's as good as done, you have brought help to your servant. You have brought aid, saving us, have saved us from our situation. So this is a powerful declaration where she's so sure of what God is doing, regardless of her circumstances. She's so sure, she says it in the past tense, it's as good as done. The arrival of this child secures it. Now what's amazing here is here's what she's done. She's chosen what she is going to magnify. Is she going to magnify her circumstances? The difficulties of them? The things she wished were different? The things that seem unfair? The things that are the exact opposite of what she was praying for and hoping for? Is she going to magnify her circumstances? No, she decides to magnify the Lord, or she decides to let the bigness and immensity and, the, and how massive God is overwhelm her freshly so that she rejoices, so that she commands her soul to choose the celebration of joy. And here's what's so powerful, church, is she says this is true from generation to generation. So in other words, in the same way this was true for Mary, she's saying, with the arrival of this child, it is also true for you. You may not be carrying this child in your womb, but the arrival of this child shifts everything in your life. The arrival of this child is not just like on some theological level our Savior is here. No, in the practical hurt, suffering, lowliness of your current situation, wherever Christmas is finding you, the hurt there, the arrival of this child actually affects where you're at and what you're living through right now. Because this child grows up to be Jesus, is crucified on a cross, and the significance of what the Son of God came to do is he came to pay for all of your sins, past, present, and future. He came to exhaust the wrath of God on himself, thoroughly taking the punishment, hear me, thoroughly taking the punishment so that there is no more punishment left for you. It's exhausted so see what this shifts, the rival of this child. See what this shifts. That means all that there is left from God to you. Is there anger? Is there punishment? Is there wrath? No, if you're in Jesus, all that is left for you is his love. You have been repositioned. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you have been reconciled to God. You have been repositioned. He sees you as his child and always thoroughly acts towards you as if you are his child. Can I challenge you this Christmas season because of the arrival of this baby Jesus? Can I challenge you to shift your prayers? Because sometimes we still pray as if we're not sure whether God is really for us or not. 
We pray as if it's still not yet been proven as if he's going to show mercy to us or or he's going to lift us up or if he's going to provide for us or if he's going to help us. We pray as if, God, I'm not sure whether you're going to do that or not, so will you do that? So we say, God, please bring mercy into my life. Where's the mercy, God? Where, Where is the moment where you're going to exalt me out of this broken situation? God, where is the moment that when are you going to come and provide for me because I am hungry, I have needs. When, God, are you going to come and help me because I'm all alone? And we pray as if it's still in limbo as to whether or not he is for us. But when that child Jesus arrived on the earth, everything changed. There is no more debate. Everything that happens in our lives, no matter what our circumstances look like, everything that happens in our lives is under the watchful eye of your loving Father. So can I encourage you to shift your prayer? Instead of, God, please, I come to you again this Christmas, this year, and I've messed up again. I was hoping I'd be better. I was hoping I wouldn't make, up, make the same mistakes, but another year and the same mistakes again, please. I, I know that this is going to bring hurt and pain and destruction into my life, but please have mercy. Can I challenge you to shift that prayer and say, oh God, you know that I, I've got the same brokenness and hurt and I made the same mistakes, but thank you that you are so merciful. Thank you that you are a God of mercy and that because of Jesus, because he is my Savior, because he's exhausted all of your anger and wrath, you pour out nothing but mercy in my life. Just let me see how the mercy is present in my life. Can you shift your prayer from saying, God, when are you going to show up? My situation is broken and I'm hurting and I'm lowly and I'm, I feel like I'm in the dust. When are you going to show up and rise me up out of this position? Can you shift that prayer? And say, God, I know because that baby arrived and reconciled me to you. He shifted my position. I am now a child of you. So I know you are a God that always, constantly, full throttle, never holding back, you are in the position of lifting me out in just the right time. And so even though I can't understand it, thank you that you are a God who exalts the humble. Thank you that you are a God who has a plan for lifting me out of this. Just let me see how you already are at work. Instead of saying, God, when are you going to show up? When am I going to find that job? I'm still without work. Or when am I going to find that relationship? God, I I have needs. When am I going to find these things that I need? When am I going to find the finances to make ends meet? When am I going to find all these things that that I'm needy for? God, when are you going to show up? Can you shift that prayer in light of the fact that Jesus came, that child came? Can you shift that prayer to saying, God, you are a provider. I know it's as good as done. You are actively, thoroughly providing exactly what I need today. Let, I will choose to celebrate that. Just let me see how you're providing. Can you shift your prayer? From God, I'm so alone. I feel like I'm doing this all by myself. When are you going to help? When are you going to bring aid I'm tired of trying to do this marriage alone. I'm tired of trying to do, to, to do this business alone. I'm tired of, of trying to share my faith with my family alone. I feel like I'm all by myself. When are you going to show up and help? Can you shift that prayer this Christmas season and saying, in light of the fact that that baby Jesus showed up, the presence of that child means I'm repositioned with you and you always thoroughly, without holding anything back, treat me like a child that you love. So thank you 
that you are bringing me aid and help right now in this season. Exactly what, what I need. And please just let me see how you're bringing that help. Because with Jesus on the scene, it's as good as done. See, church, our struggle is we often try to micromanage God, which is not a good idea for a couple reasons. We say things like this, God, you know that I'm hungry and I have needs, so uh, here I've got it all mapped out for you. I'd like for you to accomplish this this season. I've got a promotion coming up. I'm going to need that promotion. That way I've got it all worked out. That way I can financially provide. So here's step one through ten. If you could get all that done and we'll talk. Promotion comes through. I don't get the promotion. I'm saying, God, we need to meet because, I, I mean, I clearly assigned that promotion to you. You were supposed to get that done for me. And I want to micromanage God. I give him all the steps and I have all my requests that he needs to get done. But it's not a good idea to micromanage God for two reasons. First, he actually knows better how to provide for you. So even though I have my current circumstances... It's not a good idea for me to try and prescribe how he should provide for me. That's number one. Number two, and the even more important reason, is that I don't manage God. God manages me. And so what we do is say, look at my circumstances. They don't make sense. But I'm not going to magnify my circumstances in this season. I'm going to magnify you and remind myself of the immensity, how massive, how big you are. I'm going to magnify you, and then I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to command my soul to rejoice, because I know with you it's as good as done. Do you know how Mary ends this entire song? She says, from generation to generation, she says, as you spoke to our fathers, do you realize what she was waiting for was what they yearned for for generations and were waiting for that this child would come that would change everything. And here's what they were waiting for. This is, I want to close with this. Just receive this from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Here's what it says. They were yearning for this hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. This is what was promised. For to us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase and of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Did you hear what that says? It's not just for unto Mary a child was born and a son was given. It's unto us. A child was born, and do you hear what it's described? The government will be on his shoulders. What government? The ruling of the entire universe is on his shoulders. That means the ruling of your life is on his shoulders. You can let all of the weights and the difficulty of trying to make this difficult season make sense and make all of your circumstances make sense. Roll that off of your shoulders because it's on the shoulders of the one who is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. It is carried safely on his shoulders. So all you have to ask yourself this Christmas is what am I going to magnify? Am I going to magnify my circumstances? 
or am I going to magnify the Lord? And once I magnify the Lord, I can choose to rejoice. No matter what you're going through, however Christmas finds you this year, no matter what lowly estate you find yourself in, today choose to believe he lifts the lowly. The arrival of of that child, Jesus, shifted everything. He is working for you. It's as good as done. Now you may be here and say, look, I feel a thousand miles away from God. I don't feel like his child. I feel separated from God. I feel all the, the things that I've done. I don't deserve God. I feel like he wouldn't want me. He doesn't see me as a child. Well, if you have any doubt with where you stand with God, you can be sure where you stand with God today. It's all about that child that grew up to be Jesus, who surrendered his life to be crucified, but rose again from the dead because he was God in the flesh, the Son of God. And that is a gift. It is a gift offered you. You just have to receive it, that he paid for your sins so you can be reconciled to your creator and spend eternity in heaven. And if that's you, if you want to receive that gift today, you can do that right now. You can know walking out of here that you are permanently reconciled to God, that you are a child of God, and that you will spend eternity in heaven. And if you want that assurance walking out of here today, then let me just lead you in a simple prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If that's you, then, and you want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, then right there, wherever you're sitting, you might be sitting here, you might be joining us online, watching wherever you're at in the quietness of that moment, make these words your words to God. Just right there in your heart, just simply say this to God. Say, God, thank you for sending Jesus to save me. Thank you for loving me that much. Thank you for wanting to be for me. Thank you for wanting to spend eternity with me in heaven. I believe. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.